most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, June 16th, 2022, the 512th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello and thank you if you are listening to the podcast on the day of its release as a result of becoming a paid subscriber on Substack. Substack is where the podcast is available exclusively on the day of release. So if you're listening to this thinking, hey, all of that stuff happened two days ago, that's why. You come on over to Substack, you get a paid subscription for as low as $5 a month, which breaks down to about 25 cents per episode. And you will get the podcast on time as well as any writing that I publish on Substack before it's available to everyone else. So I talked on Tuesday about the Very Violent Insurrection, the final season of the Very Violent Insurrection, a J6 extravaganza, and speculated that they may not make it past that second episode after they canceled Wednesday's session and Donald Trump released his statement about the commission, his statement about election fraud and everything that has taken place since January of 2021. And then, of course, there's the fact that the TV show is actually really, really bad and really boring and no one cares and no one's watching it. So they decided that they were going to have another day today. Apparently, their small video team did an incredible, extraordinary amount of work in 24 hours that they were not able to complete in the 17 months prior. And they were ready to go today with a whole new session. So I figured, hey, why not turn this on for a little while? And so I watched mm, a half an hour of it on Fox News's YouTube channel. And it was basically just a still shot of one of the witnesses more or less just sitting there doing nothing while videos played off screen of certain things that Trump associated people said in the days leading up to January 6th. They were especially focused today on whether or not Mike Pence had the power, had the authority to choose to send the electors in states under objection back to their states so that the states could further investigate and examine the rampant claims of fraud in each and every one of them and the overwhelming evidence even at that time 
that it was clear the elections had been defrauded. And at the very, very least, it was clear that none of those elections should have been certified. No one involved in the certification of those elections had a legitimate or even good reason to think that those counts that they certified accurately represented the will of the voters. And of course, all of them involved in that process know the election system and they know what the machines are for. They can't simply plead ignorance on that. So I went on my friend CanCon's live stream last night, and that'll be up on Rumble. If you want to see it, you can just go on over to Rumble, search CanCon, C-A-N-N-C-O-N, and you'll find his show. But he let me know he wanted to talk about whether or not the January 6th committee would eventually lead to charges being brought against Donald Trump. The idea being that surely because Donald Trump incited a very violent insurrection for the purpose of overturning a free and fair election, the safest and most secure election of all time, that he must have committed chargeable offenses. He must have violated criminal law in some way or violated his duty in office. And this is going to be the time that they finally get that silver bullet and kill the Trump monster. And I agreed that that might be one of the places they wanted to take this whole thing. But Benny Thompson came out on Monday and said that they would not be bringing charges against Trump and that that was not the committee's role, that they did not have the authority to do that, and that this is an investigative report. Their goal is to tell the public about what's going on. And so I just wanted to get a little more background into that statement and the dynamic there, because those are the sorts of things that I just say, hey, okay, I've got it. I understand what happened here. Benny Thompson has just let the country know that actually, no, it doesn't matter what this committee is saying. They don't have the ability to bring charges against Donald Trump. It's strange that the J6 committee and the TV show have been marketing themselves on their ability to do that, knowing that it's not something they have the ability to do, but they know that their audience doesn't know. And the conversation about whether or not Donald Trump might be charged is like one of the greatest repeating storylines that they have been running out there every month or so for the last seven years. And today is the seven-year anniversary of Donald Trump coming down the escalator. Seven years of nonstop attacks, most of them amounting to absolutely nothing, most of them created out of nothing, and none of them with even the slightest ability to put Donald Trump in prison or even to make it so that he cannot be president again. But they're still trying, and I'm sure that they will continue to try as this enters its eighth year with still no results, and they'll keep trying until Donald Trump is actually back in office. And if by chance there is still a Democratic Party in the next few years, I'm sure that they will continue trying to stop him when he is president again. But Benny Thompson kind of ruined it for the January 6th committee. That was one of the 
big cliffhangers. They were all waiting to see if there would be charges. Let's watch this thing till the end. And then at that point, whoa, they're going to bring down the charges. They're going to tell us that Donald Trump is really going to go to jail. Well, Benny Thompson ruined that. And Liz Cheney basically responded by saying, well, we haven't made that decision yet. There's still a whole lot of this TV show to play out. And maybe by the end, things will be different, which only means that, yeah, she understands they're not going to be bringing charges, but they don't want to tell the public that because then the public might stop paying attention and they're already not paying attention. Adam Schiff gave basically the same answer, but he even went with the I haven't read Benny Thompson's comments yet line. So he doesn't know what the reporter could be talking about. Uh, Hey, Adam, Benny Thompson said, you guys are not going to be bringing charges because you can't bring charges. What do you think about that? And Adam Schiff, being the very responsible person that he is, he wanted to see exactly what Benny Thompson said before he commented, you know, just to make it seem doubtful for whoever might be paying attention. And then he immediately reverted to the Liz Cheney answer where we're just going to have to wait and see. We're going to keep everybody in suspense. But then there was a really interesting answer from Friar Cuck, Jamie Raskin. He said that the January 6th select committee is less concerned with whether or not there was a specific statutory offense committed than making clear to the public that there was no rational basis upon which anyone could conclude that Trump had actually won the election. And so now you kind of give the whole game away. This is what the TV show is about. They want to convince America that there's absolutely no way that Trump won that him contesting the election at all was illegal. That's actually at the top of CNN.com right now. Liz Cheney saying that what Trump asked Pence to do was illegal. Now, does she mean illegal as in he doesn't have the power to do that? Kind of like the illegitimate January 6th committee bringing charges against Donald Trump like that kind of illegal, like he doesn't have the authority? Or is she trying to say that it is an overt crime, that it's somehow treasonous for Donald Trump to have asked everyone to exercise the extent of their constitutional authority in response to what is clearly, obviously, a stolen election with overwhelming evidence to prove it true, and there was overwhelming evidence that existed at that time. And of course, the discussion then becomes, what do we want a responsible president to do when systemic widespread election fraud has been carried out across the country? He's just supposed to shut up and take it. I mean, that's definitely what they wanted. I wonder what the back channel communications were about that. And I look forward to finding out once the power has shifted, what levers were being pulled to convince Donald Trump to just shut up and go away and take all his supporters with him. And by the way, that's another thing. Donald Trump's supporters, regardless of what Donald Trump would have said, were not just going to forget that the election was stolen and that Joe Biden, one of the most corrupt politicians in the history of American politics, 
was being unduly installed as commander in chief of the United States and its military. We weren't just going to forget about that. And despite what the child brained viewers of MSNBC and CNN think, we don't just do whatever Donald Trump says. Election fraud isn't even only about Trump. There's fraud up and down the ballot. But Raskin says the purpose was to make clear to the public that there was no rational basis upon which anyone could conclude that Trump had actually won the election. They want to salt the earth on that entire conversation. They don't want anyone to ever bring it up again. This is to show America that even people close to Trump think the election was just fine. 2,000 mules and all that, those are just conspiracy theories. There was no legal way that Trump could have possibly overturned the election, which to them apparently means that everything was perfectly legal, even though they're essentially saying, even if we did commit a crime, Donald Trump has no power to stop us. That is what they're asserting. And then, of course, they have to attach their notion that if elections are challenged in the future, surely there will also be political violence like there was on January 6th, except the political violence on January 6th, first of all, was not primarily initiated by Trump supporters. It also wasn't organized and funded by people who back Trump. We saw political violence throughout the summer of 2020 and beyond. And we're getting warnings about political violence again. And I'm about to go into one of those in just a minute. But we know who funds those. We know they have international funding. We know they have a great deal of funding. We know that there is an organization there that directs the movements of these groups. Antifa members flying around the country for different riots. This is stuff that's been widely reported, stuff that there is a wealth of evidence behind. Patel Patriot has done some great work on the monitoring of these groups and the possibility that their movements were being monitored as domestic terrorists. And this whole TV show is supposed to be a reminder of that. The people who think election fraud happened are crazy and stupid. They should be disrespected at all times. Even the people around Trump know that. So Trump and anyone else who talks about election fraud is telling the big lie. If you do that, you can be accused of contributing to organized political violence, a very violent insurrection, a coup against the country. You are inciting a civil war. That is what they are trying to hammer home here. And Friar Cuck comes right out and admits it. But the funny thing about this statement is what it says about the state of things right now. 19 months after that election and congressional superstars like Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, Adam Schiff, and Benny Thompson, and of course, Friar Cuck himself, they have this massive production to try to convince the country that Joe Biden really is a legitimate president. That is what they are doing 19 months after the election. All of this is to convince the country that Joe Biden is legitimate, that Trump actually lost and that Trump should never run again. And if he or any of his supporters ever talk 
about the fact that 19 months after the election, people still don't believe Joe Biden is legitimate. Well, they're all criminals and terrorists. Imagine your position being so weak, your presidency so obviously illegitimate that 19 months after the election, you are putting on this production just to make people stop questioning your legitimacy. Insane. So Donald Trump came out with a statement today on Truth Social. He said the fake news networks are perpetuating lies, falsehoods, and Russia, Russia, Russia type disinformation. Same sick people. Here we go again. By allowing the low-rated but nevertheless one-sided and slanderous unselect committee hearings to go endlessly and aimlessly on and on and on. It is a one-sided, highly partisan witch hunt, the likes of which has never been seen in Congress before. Therefore, I am hereby demanding equal time to spell out the massive voter fraud and Dem security breach. Now, that part's interesting, a security breach. He could be talking about how Capitol Police opened the doors of the Capitol building and let, quote unquote, rioters in to walk around and take selfies. Or perhaps he's referring to something else. And hey, maybe he's referring to Nancy Pelosi's laptop. That would be exciting, too. But a Dem security breach involved in January 6th. Can't wait to hear what he means by that. He then posted again. A short time later and said, I demand equal time. Now, some people on Telegram have brought up that he could be talking about equal television time. They are basically broadcasting a one sided political commercial for the Uniparty against Donald Trump. And, you know, maybe he's mentioning that if the Democrat Communist Party and their Republican accomplices are going to get all of this free television time as they did last Thursday night, well, then Donald Trump should have the opportunity to have that television time as well. And some people are doing the digging on whether that is somehow an FCC regulation or whatever. And I guess we'll see what people find. It's also possible he's just simply making the point about wanting to have that same opportunity. Maybe he will get it. I don't think CNN and MSNBC will be broadcasting it. And I doubt that Fox would either, but maybe he'll do something on OAN or a similar network. And I would guess that would be significantly more highly rated than what the illegitimate January 6th select committee is showing the American public right now. So speaking of political violence, apparently the Black Lives Matter Antifa-style domestic terrorists in this country are growing a little bored while waiting for the Supreme Court decision on abortion to come out. They decided to make a statement last night, and the group is calling itself Jane's Revenge, which is as dorky as you would expect the name of a group of militant communists to be. Here is their statement. You have seen that we are real and that we are not merely pushing empty words. According to Jerry Nadler, I'm sure that they will still be just a conspiracy theory, though. As we said, we are not one group, but many. And so far, this just sounds like the beginning of one of those old anonymous videos like CIA anonymous, not the other anonymous charity. 
You have seen us in Madison, Wisconsin, Fort Collins, Colorado, Risertown, Massachusetts, Olympia, Washington, Des Moines, Iowa, Linwood, Washington, Washington, D.C., Asheville, North Carolina, Buffalo, New York, Hollywood, Florida, Vancouver, Washington, Frederick, Massachusetts, Denton, Texas, Gresham, Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, Portland, Oregon, among others. And we work in countless locations invisibly. You've read the communiques from the various cells. You've seen the proliferating messages in graffiti and elsewhere. And you know that we are serious. Well, yes, we know that you are seriously mentally ill, totally deranged and absolutely domestic terrorists. I guess thanks for telling us all the places that you've committed crimes. It's amazing how many of them are in Washington and Oregon states that we are told are deep blue and basically always in the Democrat column also states where there is an extensive history of Black Lives Matter Antifa style rioting and state and local governments who are just fine with Black Lives Matter Antifa style rioting and domestic terrorism even though it destroys the lives of their citizens and makes them want to flee the state. But hey, people who know things are not the target audience of communist domestic terrorists. We were surprised to see 30 days come and 30 days pass with no sign of conciliance or even bare minimum self-reflection from you who impersonate healthcare providers in order to harm the vulnerable. What in the world could that mean? History may not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. And we've already seen such stanzas where medical autonomy is stripped away. Humanity is increasingly criminalized and merely surviving becomes largely untenable. Well, that doesn't mean anything. But if it did, how in the world are we supposed to believe that what Jane's revenge has just told us applies more to the abortion debate than it does to how Democrat communist governors handled the COVID response. Medical autonomy was stripped away and we don't even have to talk about the vaccine mandates, which is a direct violation of medical autonomy. We can talk about how all of the COVID patients around the country were prevented from getting treatments that very well could have saved their lives, according to the data. And rather than being allowed to try those treatments, they were instead forced to follow the government's medical protocols, which meant remdesivir until renal failure, and then a ventilator. And then at that point, you have a 90% chance of dying. But you're not going to die like a normal person. It's a pandemic. You have to die alone and your family can't come see you, even if they wear three masks, which we are told does something. Three masks can save your life in public by preventing you from getting COVID, but it can't save your life in private if you are sitting next to your dying grandmother who the hospital decided should be on a ventilator. But let's hear more from these brilliant domestic terrorists. Your 30 days expired yesterday. We offered an honorable way out. You could have walked away. Now the leash is off and we will make it as hard as possible for your campaign of oppression to continue. 
we have demonstrated in the past month how easy and fun it is to attack. We are versatile. We are mercurial. And we answer to no one but ourselves. We promised to take increasingly drastic measures against oppressive infrastructures. And I mean, it's really, really sad to hear that, especially after Joe Biden just fixed America's infrastructure. Rest assured that we will, and those measures may not come in the form of something so easily cleaned up as fire and graffiti. Sometimes you will see what we do, and you will know that it is us. Sometimes you will think you were merely unlucky because you cannot see the ways which we interfere in your affairs. But your pointless attempts to control others and make life more difficult will not be met passively. Eventually, your insurance companies and your financial backers will realize you are a bad investment. And they're talking about pro-life groups. They believe that these people peacefully trying to convince women that it is better ultimately for them and for the baby inside them to carry that baby to term and maybe choose adoption or reconsider whether or not you might be able to be that baby's parent. That, to them, is oppression. From here forward, any anti-choice group who closes their doors and stops operating will no longer be a target. But until you do, it's open season, and we know where your operations are. The infrastructure of the enslavers will not survive. We will never stop, back down, slow down, or retreat. We did not want this, but it is upon us, and so we must deal with it proportionally. We exist in confluence and solidarity with all others in the struggle for complete liberation. Our recourse now is to defend ourselves and to build robust, caring communities of mutual aid, so that we may heal ourselves without the need of the medical industry or any other intermediary. Through attacking, we find joy, courage, and strip the veneer of impenetrability held by these violent institutions. They want complete liberation, and apparently the only thing stopping them from complete liberation is that groups of people who have the belief that it is their moral responsibility to help and do their part in creating a culture that respects human life have the audacity to try to peacefully convince other people that their position is the correct one. It's times like these that you have to remember that the Democrats, the communists, are actually the, the morally righteous people in all of these equations. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter who they rob or what they burn or if anyone is killed in the process. It only matters that they're always right and anyone who stands in their way is always wrong and deserving of punishment to any level, including death, if they refuse to back down. They are actually claiming the right to torture you in your home, in your business, in your establishment, if you are doing the sort of work that they don't like. And for the allies of ours who doubt the authenticity of the communiques and actions, there is a way you can get irrefutable proof that these actions are real. 
go do one of your own. You are already one of us. Everyone with the urge to paint, to burn, to cut, to jam. Now is the time. Go forth and manifest the things you wish to see. Stay safe and practice your cursive. Signed, Jane's Revenge. Now, all of that sounds like something that Kevin Spacey's character in the movie Seven would write and think. And who knows, maybe they got some creative input from Kevin Spacey himself. He is not known to be a particularly moral person. He is absolutely a communist. Maybe he could have participated in this. But this is deranged. And where is Merrick Garland? Where is our entire domestic terrorism apparatus that's been flexing its muscle for the last 17 months pursuing anyone who dares to tell the big lie in public. They have the time and the resources and the wherewithal to go after individual parents for showing up to school board meetings. They can bust down James O'Keefe's door, a journalist, because he dared to talk about the very real diary of Ashley Biden that he received, that James O'Keefe received. And that diaries received some headlines in the last couple of days, all of them remarking about Ashley Biden's claim in that diary that she was forced to take inappropriate showers with Joe Biden at age nine. And apparently that's what the FBI kicked down James O'Keefe's door to attempt to stop. Didn't work. Obviously, that story was actually out there before the 2020 election. Here we are almost two years later hearing about it again. The FBI has enough time and enough wherewithal to stage kidnapping plots against the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, 12 out of the 18 people involved in that quote unquote kidnapping plot were either part of the FBI or known by the FBI, federal agents and informants, federal assets, let's say, and I mean, hey, call me a conspiracy theorist, but it looks like they have enough time to stage Patriot Front events, too, to convince the entire country that there is a vast and growing white supremacist threat against gay pride parades. But everybody knows that's not true. They're having these pride parades and events every weekend all over the place. There are men out there with fake breasts dressed in thongs and twerking. They don't seem worried about white supremacist terrorism. And of course they're not because they have the entire power structure on their side encouraging them. Christina Aguilera, that awful little troll, was performing over the weekend with a massive strap-on dildo around her waist. And I guess that's the new hip thing now. But why hasn't Jane's revenge already been shut down? There's absolutely no way they don't know who's involved. And of course, we know it's because the regime wants political violence. And while the main story is that this political violence is about trying to convince the justices to change their vote so that the current state of abortion is upheld, We should consider that it might be a lot more than that. They may very well want this political violence in the hopes that people on our side would actually 
match their violence. That didn't happen in 2020. They can scream and cry about the Proud Boys or who else was it? The Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters. And now they have this new fake Fed group Patriot Front. These are the groups that they're talking about. No one knows anybody in these groups. And all of those groups together, even pretending for a second that they are real and legitimate and in any way threatening, well, they're not even a fraction of the size of Antifa and Black Lives Matter. They don't have the funding. They don't have the organization. And they don't have any history of going out and attacking people or property. And Yes, I know about the very violent insurrection. I get it, commies. I know that's your one big example. You always have one big example of everything that our side did so that we don't have the moral high ground to be able to say, oh, all of that obvious domestic terrorism you guys are perpetrating on the country. We don't have any moral high ground to be able to say all that's wrong. And you can imagine that they would love to create an incident where some of those communist domestic terrorists actually get shot by Americans who are sick of watching this violence rip through their communities. They're hoping someone goes out and fights back against this domestic terrorism so that they can say that the Second Amendment is part of that and give them another reason to try to take away people's guns. All of this is ridiculous, and we know where it's heading. Their goal is to further destabilize society in hopes that they can create a series of events that would lead to them not getting completely flushed out of the government. Whether that's by stealing the election and having an appropriate narrative so enough of the country might believe they actually won, or perhaps finding some sort of justification for canceling the election altogether. Now, changing subjects without a segue... This story is from Reuters, and the headline is China Bank Protest Stopped by Health Codes Turning Red, Depositors Say. A protest planned by hundreds of bank depositors in central China seeking access to their frozen funds has been thwarted because the authorities have turned their health code apps red, several depositors told Reuters. The depositors were planning to travel to the central province of Henan this week from across China to protest an almost two-month block on accessing at least $178 million of deposits, which has left companies unable to pay workers and individuals unable to access savings. Rights groups have warned China could use its vast COVID surveillance infrastructure to stifle dissent. Without a green code on their smartphone app, citizens lose access to public transportation and spaces such as restaurants and malls, as well as the right to travel across the country. They are putting digital handcuffs on us, said a depositor from Sichuan province named Chen, who declined to use his full name for fear of government retribution. The Henan provincial government and the Ministry of Public Security did not respond to requests for comment. The National Health Commission said in a note to Reuters on Thursday, the use of health codes could not be expanded without authorization and cannot be assigned other than in connection with the prevention and control of the epidemic. And that is the sort of explanation that we get from our illegitimate communist government quite a lot as well. They say this thing 
isn't happening because our rules and regulations say that that's not what this thing is used for. Therefore, it can't be used for this thing. Therefore, it's not happening. Like, hey, what about all these times where it is happening? Well, you see, it can't happen, which means it doesn't happen. And that's the end of the story. After recent COVID outbreaks, some regions in China have asked travelers to register their plans online. A man surnamed Liu, who lives in Hubei province, found that his health code turned red on the morning of June 12th after he registered the day before to travel to Henan. Liu had planned to travel to a protest planned for Monday in the Henan provincial capital, Zhengzhou, where he had hoped to get his money back. The protest would have been the latest among numerous such demonstrations in Henan in recent months. More than 200 depositors were similarly blocked when their health codes turned red, according to members of a WeChat group. It could not be ascertained if the change in code was intended to block the protesters or for another reason, but three depositors told Reuters they knew people who had registered to travel to Henan who were not connected to the frozen funds whose codes did not turn red. Yuzhu, Jinmin, Shang Village Bank, Shanghai Human Country Bank, and Zhecheng Huangwei Community Bank froze deposits on April 18th, with all three telling customers they were upgrading internal systems. So that's what it is. It's a technical error. Liu who declined to give his full name for fear of government repercussions, said his child may not be able to go to school if his code does not soon revert to green. I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. You're treated as though you're a criminal. It infringes on my human rights, said Liu. Wang Qiang, who lives in the central city of Wuhan, found her health code had turned red after she registered to travel to Henan on June 11th. The police had my identity details from the last time I went to protest in April, said Wong, who said she has lost access to 2.3 million yuan. That's $341,550. So, I mean, good for Wong. She's loaded. But less good because she's also being completely and totally oppressed. Other depositors told Reuters they were able to arrive in Zhengzhou by train and car, but their codes turned red as soon as they scanned city health codes. So there you have a brief glimpse into your own future if the communist government in America gets what it wants and what it's pushed for and what it has actually installed in certain places around the country. There are many countries around the world that have these QR codes and not all of them are communist China. I have friends in Ireland. They have to use their QR code to go to a bar to get into the bar. They have to flash their QR code. And I've talked a bunch of times about companies in America like clear that you always see at the airport they're developing the same sorts of technology and the same sorts of systems so that everywhere you go, you swipe your QR code, you have it scanned in, and that's what allows you to enter. And if your health status isn't the way it's supposed to be, then you're not allowed in and they can do this anywhere. If you have a current COVID infection, well, you're not allowed to go anywhere. If you are not up to date on your vaccine subscription, you're not allowed to go anywhere. 
And you add that to the social credit score, to the environmental score. You add that to your personal ID and to your digital medical records. And then you add that to your cashless central bank digital currency and everything that you need to go about your life in a normal way is fully under control of whatever government agency or entity has the ability to change your status from green to red. In one second, you go from being able to function normally in your society to not being able to do any of that stuff. None of this has ever been a conspiracy theory. It is always exactly what they wanted to accomplish in this step-by-step way. They figured the easiest sell was for your medical status or your vaccination status because a year ago or so, when everybody was super happy to get as many shots as they possibly could, a great number of our fellow citizens thought that this would be a great idea. Turn off the ability for unvaccinated people to go about their normal lives and more of them will get vaccinated. Will more of them getting vaccinated save anyone's life at all? No, of course not. That would be crazy. That would require the vaccine actually being able to do what vaccines do. First and foremost, to prevent infection and transmission. But everybody admits now that the vaccine doesn't do that. It also doesn't prevent serious illness or death, but they continue to pretend that it does because they continue to claim that the vaccine, quote unquote, produces antibodies and that those antibodies would then battle against COVID. And we should hope they work that well because these people get shot after shot after shot and then get COVID more times than anyone can possibly imagine. Anthony Fauci was just giving testimony today and claimed that the best possible protection from COVID is to get COVID and then to get vaccinated. Even though everyone knows by now that the vaccine immunity, if the vaccine provides any immunity at all, is certainly not as strong as normal natural immunity from getting the illness and recovering. And that's it. Since we can also see that excess deaths have risen with the presence of the vaccine compared to 2020 when the pandemic was raging, we can also understand that the vaccine is actually creating far worse health outcomes than having simply done nothing. So, whoops, I guess. Now, we all know inflation is out of control. We know that gas prices are out of control. And what we have is an energy supply problem that could easily be solved, but won't be because the situation as it exists now and as it worsens is actually part of the global communist agenda, and they are happy about the way things are going. You always have to remember that as incompetent as these people are on many levels, they are still competent enough to follow orders and exercise whatever authority they have in the ways they are instructed. Their actual job is to sell all of that terrible policy to America and convince people that 
all of the terrible things that are happening are actually just speed bumps on the road to progress. So we should all welcome them as good. That's their actual job. Now, they're very incompetent at that job, too. But that doesn't mean that we should see the quote unquote accomplishments of this administration as a failure for what they intend. They don't intend to make America a good place or a strong country. They don't intend to improve the lives of American citizens. They intend to help usher in the global communist agenda. That is their mission. It's similar to how saying that the voting machines don't work is kind of inaccurate. The voting machines work exactly as they're supposed to and produce the results that they want. The voting machines actually work perfectly from the perspective of people who want to steal elections. Likewise, if you are a global communist and you want to see the global communist agenda enacted and you decided that you were going to steal an American election so that you could finally overthrow the United States of America, well, then the illegitimate administration and its performance is going to be judged on a much different scale. Now, it turns out that not only is the illegitimate administration too incompetent to sell any of this stuff to the American public in any believable way, they're also too incompetent to fully enact the agenda. And it turns out that the people directing what they are supposed to be doing are too incompetent to realize that the agenda is never going to be fully installed. They're never going to get where they're trying to go. It's just not possible for them. They have already lost that battle, but they can still continue to make people's lives difficult and they can still continue to destabilize society. And they think that destabilization will eventually become so bad and so intolerable for American citizens that we will actually beg for them to come in and help us. But this is a good piece of reporting from the Gateway Pundit. The headline is, despite ongoing energy crisis and record fuel prices nearly every day, leftist activists sue Biden administration to block 3,500 oil and gas permits. So the Biden administration wants to end oil and gas They don't want that as part of the normal experience in America. Sure, oil and gas is just fine to run the things they need. Obama is installing a massive underground commercial grade propane tank in his mansion on the coast of Martha's Vineyard. And no one's giving up their private jets. But the point is to make everyone else's life difficult. So what they're doing is is claiming that they have given out all of these oil and gas permits, these leases, so that people can begin to drill if they want. But then they have their own left-wing activists come in and wage lawfare so that all of this stuff gets delayed indefinitely and that the energy supply actually cannot be filled in any of these new leases or on any of these new permits. A group of environmental activists is suing the Biden administration to vacate over 3,500 oil and gas drilling permits already approved in two states, despite rising fuel costs and a national energy crisis. The lawsuit was filed Wednesday by two wildlife conservation activist groups, the Center for Biological Diversity and Wild Earth Guardians, and the environmental activist law firm, Western Environmental Law Center. 
The groups have sued the Department of the Interior, Interior Secretary Deb Haaland, and the Bureau of Land Management Director Tracy Stone Manning. Tracy Stone Manning, by the way, is a former left-wing activist, an actual environmental terrorist that Joe Biden nonetheless nominated. The suit seeks to halt the approval of more than 3,500 permits in the Permian Basin in New Mexico and the Powder River Basin in Wyoming, claiming the approved permits violate environmental laws. Most disturbing is that the permits in question constitute almost all approved permits in those states. Climate change is driven primarily by the burning of fossil fuels for energy and transportation activities, the groups wrote in their suit. Is that true? Who cares? Are other countries expanding their fossil fuel usage? Yes, they are. Does that ever come into play? Of course not. The 62-page filing includes a 192-page appendix that lists the targeted oil and gas wells they intend to shut down. In the suit, the group claims the drilling of these oil and gas wells will likely emit 490 to 600 million metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent greenhouse gas pollution over the course of their lifespans, equivalent to the annual emissions of between 131 and 161 coal-fired power plants. This is both a nationally and globally significant quantity of emissions. The suit claims that the permits in question were approved in violation of the National Environmental Policy Act, the Endangered Species Act, and the Federal Land Policy and Management Act, along with the relevant federal regulations. The groups allege that the BLM, that's Bureau of Land Management in this case, and not Black Lives Matter, the terrorist group, failed to consult with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the National Marine Fisheries Service in what they claim violates the ESA. They claim the agencies failed, quote, to consider or take action to prevent the unnecessary and undue degradation of public lands resulting from ongoing oil and gas permitting, violating the FLPMA. The suit further claims the agencies failed to, quote, take a hard look at environmental justice under NEPA, specifically as it relates to the, quote, disproportionate and adverse effects from climate change felt by communities in Wyoming and New Mexico. And of course, environmental justice is one of the dumbest ideas these communists have ever had. But hey, it's effective. As long as you call something justice, it becomes good. The groups are seeking an injunction that would vacate the leases allowing for oil and gas drilling in both states. According to the data from the BLM website, more than 3,800 permits were approved in Wyoming and New Mexico between January 21st, 2021 and May 31st, 2022. Those leases represent the majority of permits issued nationwide at that time. This latest lawsuit comes as the Biden administration continues to undermine new oil and gas leasing and drilling. This is the latest despicable act by the anti-American left. In November 2021, the Department of the Interior released a report recommending BLM reduce the amount of land available for new drilling leases and impose higher costs on oil companies. In May of this year, the department canceled a massive lease sale of more than one million acres in Alaska and two other leases in the Gulf of Mexico. And Joe Biden has been out there this week asserting that these energy prices are so high because of Putin's price hike. And there's nothing that he can do or even should do to 
increase the supply of American energy because they already have 9,000 available permits out in the country. You can see right here that a leftist activist group, a group completely in line with the Joe Biden fake administration's agenda, the global communist agenda, is suing to prevent 3,500 of those from being used. And meanwhile, the fake president is blaming all of this on the oil companies, saying that the oil companies refuse to increase the supply themselves as if they have no other costs or considerations involved at all and aren't witnessing what everybody else is witnessing, which is an illegitimate administration that is hostile to their entire business model. Now, it should be becoming clear to everyone by this point that energy is as valuable as anything in the world could possibly be. It is the lifeblood of all of our economies. And when you're talking about economies, it is not just the stock market or the job market. It is also those things, but it's people going out and spending money, buying things, retail goods, things that they just simply want. That's part of the economy. People being able to buy food, get their kids to school, be able to get to work. These are all things that affect how well the economy is functioning and that economy in full is collapsing. The energy problem is a massive part of that. And the fake administration has no desire to fix that whatsoever. Members of that administration come out daily and tell Americans that what they need to do is buy expensive electric cars. And what happens when you buy that electric car? Well, Will there come a time a few years down the line where you need to scan your QR code to turn on your electric car? I mean, it is obvious that they can simply shut off all electric cars if they want. And I'm talking about even beyond just the ability to supply those electric cars with electricity. We already know they can turn off the electricity anytime they want. At some point, it might be worth asking, oh, hey. Do they want us driving electric cars so that they can limit our ability to move about the country, to go to work, to do the things that we want to do? Well, yeah, that really could be part of it. And why would anyone think any differently? We can see what the QR code is for in China. Are we expecting it's not going to be that way in America? That would be an insane expectation to make. Why would anyone give these people the benefit of the doubt at this point? And now, finally, we don't get to talk enough about Kamala Harris these days because every time they let her out to do something, she ends up creating content so embarrassing and humiliating that they basically say, well, we could have just had Joe Biden do that. But apparently they want her to basically head up all of the areas that they know are going to be a problem no matter what, so that it all gets pushed off onto her and Joe doesn't have to have his creepy little fingers all over it. Here's the headline. Biden gives Kamala Harris another job. VP will now head an online harassment task force to add to her portfolio that includes the border and voting rights. And she has done such a good job on those things so far. President Joe Biden has given Vice President Kamala Harris another job. She will head a task force dedicated to fighting online abuse and harassment. 
Biden on Thursday will announce the White House task force to address online harassment and abuse. And Harris will formally launch it by hosting a roundtable in the afternoon. The administration said the task force was being launched to address online harms, which disproportionately affect women, girls, people of color and LGBTQI plus individuals. So let's see. Let's just go over that again. Right. They disproportionately affect women, girls, people of color and LGBTQI plus individuals. Now, they have left off handicapped people or disabled people or otherly abled people. What do they even call them anymore? What is okay to call them? I know it's not all right to say cripple. I think it might not be all right to say handicapped, but I don't know why it's not all right to say handicapped. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because they are just differently abled. That's what it is. Differently abled. Differently abled people were left off this. That community should be very, very, very angry. But really, they're just basically making this so that only straight men are the oppressor class. Everyone else is oppressed. They are the victims. Everyone but straight men and differently abled people are victims of online harms. It's the latest task to be handed to Harris, who has a full plate of issues. She leads for the Biden administration, including defending voting rights and examining the root cause of migration. And apparently they are still going with that. She has not done anything to fix the problem of illegal immigration. In fact, last month was the highest number of all time. I think it was 234,000-ish illegal immigrants that they interacted with, that they quote-unquote apprehended, which usually you think means arrested and detained, not in the illegal immigration context. It just means they made contact with them, recorded some details about the illegal immigrant, which may or may not be true, and then let that illegal immigrant go, telling them that eventually they're going to have to come back to court. And it turns out that, well, more than three quarters of them never do that. And that almost all of their asylum claims are untrue. But hey, who cares? You got to remember the administration is not doing a bad job of preventing illegal immigrants coming into the country. They're doing a good job of running an effective slave trade at the southern border. And their level of competence changes when you understand that their goal isn't what you think it's supposed to be. I'm also not sure she's had any successes whatsoever in the voting rights area. Maybe they think that she created enough stir so that some of the election integrity bills around the country failed. The truth is the election integrity bills around the country, almost all of them, don't do anything to fix the election fraud problem in the first place. But maybe she's just out there to make people think that election integrity is racist because Kamala is for it. You can't be against it or else you're racist. All she ever wanted when she was a child was freedom and you're preventing her from getting it. Harris also has taken the lead for the administration in defending reproductive rights 
and a woman's right to an abortion after Politico published a draft Supreme Court opinion that, if enacted, would essentially repeal Roe versus Wade, the landmark that upheld a woman's right to abortion. Not that women have a right to abortion, but hey, this is the Daily Mail and this is how they're going to frame it. Online harassment and bullying has been a longtime problem in the country. Melania Trump made combating it one of the three pillars in her Be Best initiative. But the issue has taken on new urgency since the recent shooting massacres in Texas and New York, which were predated by racist comments on social media. Really? The 18-year-old kid in Uvalde, Texas, who was himself Hispanic, did what he did because of racist online interactions? Well, that doesn't seem right. And the guy in Buffalo was a leftist. The tragic events in Buffalo and Uvalde have underscored a fact known all too well by many Americans. The Internet can fuel hate, misogyny and abuse with spillover effects that threaten our communities and safety online. A White House fact sheet says now, is any of that true? Well, the Internet does fuel hate and probably misogyny. In fact, if it weren't for the Internet, most people just going about their lives would not even know that those things exist anymore. That's how much the Internet fuels it. And of course, we are talking about Internet platforms that are entirely controlled by the global communists. So with that, you must wonder, are they intentionally fueling all of that? And once you have that thought, you'll be like, oh, yeah, of course, that is exactly what they're doing. Recent mass shootings have also underscored the connections between online harassment, hate, misogyny, and extremist acts. For example, the Uvalde shooter had a history of threatening girls online, yet these violent sexualized harms and threats were dismissed and ignored when reported, the administration noted. Well, hey, administration, it's your Department of Justice, your federal law enforcement that is consistently aware of all these shooters and does nothing about them. And someone should eventually connect that for us, how him being harassing to girls online by their standards, by the way, could have been prevented or should have been handled or how any of that would have prevented the shooting. Otherwise, why are you saying that that is the outcome from an unregulated social media platform. Attorney General Merrick Garland and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy will attend Thursday's meeting with Harris, as will Sloan Stevens, a black U.S. tennis player who has faced racist online abuse. And I have no doubt that she has, and that is very sad, but I think that she's going to find that this is not the great PR move that her people designed this to be. That is why she is there, by the way. This is a social media influencer event for her and nothing else. This is PR coming from her people. And what in the world is Vivek Murthy doing there? They are going to claim that online harassment, which by the way means people saying anything they don't approve of, that that is a health crisis now. It's no different than back in 2020 when they wanted to label racism as a public health crisis so that they could declare a public health emergency. So Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General, is in this meeting, is 
online harassment going to become a public health emergency that leads to very deadly shootings? Sounds like that's where we're going. And then what happens? Well, if it's a public health emergency, as declared by the illegitimate president, well, then they have more power to be able to shut down different Americans for saying the things they want to say. They have more power that they can exercise over the social media platforms. And it seems like that's what's going on. Elon Musk just had his meeting with Twitter today. And clips of that have been now released by Project Veritas. And it'll be interesting to see how much of those conversations were leaked to Veritas. You would think it's the whole thing. And another amusing development in the Elon Musk Twitter world is that Musk said that he believes there should be a cryptocurrency or some sort of payment platform involved in this whole thing. And with that in mind, it may be more than a coincidence that Elon Musk is now the target of lawsuits over Dogecoin. So let's see where that goes. But it seems like the communists are getting a little bit more scared by the potential for Elon Musk to mess with their little information weapon, Twitter. The Gender Policy Council and the National Security Council will co-chair the task force. Other members include Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra, and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. So they're going to take what they call a whole-of-government approach to shutting down speech that they deem harmful. The task force is intended to develop, over the next 180 days, recommendations for the next steps the federal government can take to combat the problem, administration officials said on a briefing call ahead of the launch. Its recommendations will include increasing support for survivors of online harassment and abuse. Survivors of online harassment. You see, online harassment poses a threat to your health and to your very life. You can be dead as a result of online harassment. Expanding research to better understand the impact and scope of the problem. Enhancing prevention including prevention focused on youth and strengthening accountability for offenders and platforms, according to the White House, which means they need to figure out new ways to punish you for saying the no-no things. In the United States, one in three women under the age of 35 report being sexually harassed online, and over half of LGBTQI plus individuals report being the target of severe online abuse, the administration noted. And it's good that they confine their definitions of abuse only to the types that could be experienced by the victim classes as they define them. You wouldn't want people like me who are actual victims of online abuse and harassment and censorship being able to claim a victimhood status. And by the way, I don't claim a victimhood status except for the censorship because that's the government doing that in concert with corporations. That's actual fascism. That's actual censorship. And pretty much everyone expressing the beliefs that we express is a victim of that. That's just true. But harassment and abuse block the person. Grow a thicker skin, stiffen your spine, and get through it. It's not fun. It's not nice. But you got to remember, those are mostly strangers online who will never affect your real life. All you have to do is get offline. If Twitter is too difficult for you to handle emotionally, don't be on Twitter. 
Harris's other responsibilities in the Biden administration include selling the child tax credit. <laughs> Should just stop that at selling the child because they definitely do that, too, down at the southern border. And also, you know, in the abortion industry. Included selling the child tax credit. Did she do that? I don't even remember that. I pay attention to all of this stuff as much as anyone I know, and I don't remember that happening ever. But what else does Kamala Harris do? Well, she's been working on broadband internet issues. Okay, well, which ones? Helping convince Americans to get their COVID vaccine. Oh, that's so unique. Such a vice presidential role. Chairing the National Space Council, and you will remember that she had that video with the children who were actors that they hired to pretend that what she was saying is interesting. And she told them how one day they might be able to see the moon with their very own eyes. And she's been heading the pro-union task force, and I'm sure she's made incredible progress there as well. The vice president also inserted herself into the debate over abortion rights with a fiery speech to Emily's List, a pro-abortion group, shortly after the draft Supreme Court opinion leaked. How dare they tell a woman what she can and cannot do with her own body, Ms. Harris said last month. How dare they try to stop her from determining her own future? How dare they try to deny women their rights and their freedoms? And doesn't she mean freedoms? So you might listen to all of that, this piece from Daily Mail, and think, hey, is that journalism? And the answer, of course, is no. They just basically reprinted the White House's press release. But it is good to know all of the little points that they are actually trying to hit, the logic behind all of this, because once you get into the details, the whole thing kind of falls away. It's ridiculous. And the key is to apply that kind of thinking to all of these issues. Once you get into the details, every single bit of it is ridiculous. The whole thing falls apart. And honestly, that's why it's so great that they are producing this very violent insurrection TV show, because that same effect is going to happen all across this nation. It is all a sham, and it is all in pursuit of the same goals. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. 
It's hell!